Welcome to Gimpy Seriously. I'm Annie. And I'm Bruce. And we like to sit here and chat about all the things that we think Gimpy should take seriously. I read the funniest thing online this week that made me wonder just how others outside the area perceive Gimpy. And what was that, Annie? Someone had dredged up one of those Facebook posts that go around where they said, oh, there was an earthquake in Gimpy that measured 0.11%. And everyone ran around in shock because they couldn't believe something had actually happened in Gimpy. But what was funny was that Gimpy Times was even more excited because they had something funny to write about. Was this like where you you have a, a cyclone go through and there's a chair over? And someone goes, oh, how will we rebuild? <laughs> and it also made reference to lots of lootings and muggings and car crime. And it made me think of the time when Gimpy was referred to as Helltown. Can, can I just... Make clear, we didn't have an earthquake, did we? No, we did not have an <laughs> Okay, Helltown, that was a long time ago. That's like saying Shirley Temple's a child star. But also, I think things like this and calling Gimpy Helltown actually shows people's social prejudice. Well, it shows that we're not moving on. I mean, I guess there's an element that always wants to see Gimpy as negative. We used to say Imble, they all had two heads. Everywhere's got somewhere they say has two heads. Imble's lovely, and I think we've moved past that now in Gimpy. I think we've definitely <laughs> moved well past that. But we're not Helltown anymore. Bruce, let's talk e- about... Except for Helltown Hot Rods. <laughs> Which is closed. Is it? Yes. <laughs> well, OK, we haven't even got that. <laughs> Oopsie. Let's talk about local halls, Bruce. We've got a few of them. Look, when I first came to the area, I was blown away how every single community had an amazing little hall that was well-maintained. Well, not all of them were well-maintained, but most of them were. So are these halls owned by the community? Well, it depends who you ask. Hi, Nancy. Big call out to you. A lot of the halls were handed to council a while back. I haven't looked up to see what was the the theory behind it, but what I've been told is that it was so that they could be looked after by council, and I think there was a big plan around events and stuff like that. Four halls refused to be handed back. One of them's Thebine, I know that. What was the advantage to the councils taking over the halls? Oh, so I'm guessing the community still runs the hall with a hall committee, but they need to approach council if they want to do any works? Yes, well, because they're council kind of properties now, council's supposed to do all the maintenance on them. Oh, wow. And there's not much budgeted each year for that, is there? It's very little, is what I've been told. I don't know the exact figure, but I do know from looking at the halls, historically, we haven't done a fantastic job. There are some halls which they're doing up, and I know that during our, my term of council, this term of councillors, we have said that we, you know, these halls have to be looked after. But the hall committees can't do things like you know, put in a new kitchen or something themselves and rip it out without asking for council permission. Whereas halls like Thebine, they can apply for the gambling grants, and they do, and they've got air conditioning, they've relined, they've repainted, they've got new commercial kitchens. So just looking around at the halls we've got in the region, it really does appear to me, on the surface anyway, the ones who didn't come back to council got the better end of the stick. So maybe it's time that the halls were handed back to the locals. My personal opinion is I would love to see that where it's possible. Where, And I mean where it's possible because there's... The halls are on like the estate, there's leases, there's all sorts of things. But you know what? They're community halls. The communities should should have them without having council interfere, I think. And there's also the small hall tours you may have seen. 
where different musical groups come around and play at different halls. I have seen that. I had an idea of doing a hall crawl and we include as many halls as we can and people can join up and every hall can do its own thing. Something like, you know, the great race where you go to a hall and you've got a choice of two different things to do. Like carpet bowls? Yes, carpet bowls. My nana used to play carpet bowls. I played carpet bowls. In Liverpool, I used to go along with her. Well, there's carpet bowls here in Gympie. I know. And that building is, I've been in, it is huge. I don't think people know. You certainly can't tell from the outside what's inside. And it is a magnificent and structure. If, and if you've never tried carpet bowls, if you don't think you can bowl, you should go and play it. It's great fun. Here's the thing. We've got so many things around town that people don't know about. They're sitting at home, particularly if you look at retired people. I reckon they should get out and volunteer with some of these groups or join some of these groups. Whatever their interest is, there's probably a group that covers it. And it's a great social aspect. You start to feel good about yourself. I think during COVID, we really lost a lot of that. And my idea for like a hall crawl was to actually get people to see what halls we've got, what each hall offers, and start to build up some interest in it. Certain halls are known for certain activities, like the Long Flat Hall is where all the old time dancing happened. I think it was either there or the one on Red Hill Road, Tracy's grandparents met, her grandma and her granddad, <laughs> dancing. And then you've got Kaibong Hall, which has the pool, the snooker now. The other thing that the halls are good for are 21st, weddings, family oh. functions. And I've been to a few of them in my time. Chatsworth Hall gets a lot of views. It does, and mainly because the committee is really committed to their hall. Oh, there's all types of activities out there. There's drumming classes and sewing get-togethers. And it is. How much the hall used is heavily influenced by how much the community is involved in its hall. And I think if communities want their hall to be looked after, particularly by council, the more use they give it, the more council will have to put money into it, I think, anyway. Well, one of the big things that local halls are being utilised for are markets. Yeah, which is the one that does that? Is it Cedar Pocket? Cedar Pocket has a market. Gimborian has a market. And I'm sure there's many more out there that I don't know that also run little markets. And I don't know about you, when I'm driving somewhere, if I see a little market, I want to stop. Well, one of the things you can guarantee is you are going to get that gorgeous homemade jam and freshly baked biscuits and slices. They're always so reasonably priced. Well, they are because the halls don't have to charge a lot. I was actually wondering what halls do charge, Bruce. Have you got any ideas about the fees and charges? I tried to look it up online and I couldn't find it. I had a look in the fees and charges myself. I can't see those little halls, how much they charge. So it must be a committee thing. Because what's in the fees and charges is things like the pavilion, civic centre, which kind of we're still waiting for. But I know they're working on the Civic Centre. It'll all happen soon. Well, that's the one thing I was reading about. The Estedford's back on at the moment, and usually they utilise the Civic Centre. But, of course, they've had to have the Estedford out of the pavilion now. I feel for these groups. You've got them, you've got the acting with the, the stage productions and stuff. And really, the pavilion isn't suited for those things. So the sooner we can get that, that Civic Centre back up and running, the better. But, gee, it's been a long time. I mean, it was shut before we got here. It's just been too long. Oh, it has. I will actually agree with that. But some things are beyond the control, aren't they? I know. You know, COVID came along and then we had, you know, the state wanted to use it for a, a centre to get your jabs. And we won't even talk about the mould. <laughs> so we literally won't. <laughs> Let's talk about one of my favourite topics, Bruce. Rates. And, oh, my Lord. And look, you, again, Annie, get out. You've got to go see these halls and volunteer for something. <laughs> It is one of the most talked about things in Gympie. People worrying about whether the rates are going up or how they're going to be affected. One of the things that I wonder is there are lots of blocks around Gympie that are left vacant. And one does wonder 
who owns them and what they're waiting for. Well, I think we closed that loophole in the last couple of years where people with vacant blocks, like industrial blocks, they actually have to pay the industrial rate. I'm pretty sure that was one of the things we did because, yeah, when you're land bank, they call it, you're really not helping the community at all. So, Bruce, what are the categories for rates? Do, do they vary? Greatly. And this is something that Councillor Dan Stewart was really focused on. Even before this council, he'd asked them to look at it. It's to do things like separate out the different areas like Tin Can, Rainbow and Kalula is one that I, I remember specifically. You've got all these different categories within rates, such as service stations and shopping centres and, and all the rest of it, because it's got to be a fair system. And when you've got everyone paying the same, it's not fair. So you really have got quite a bit to take into account. Yes, absolutely. One thing I will say about you know people wondering whether rates are going to go up, rates are always going to go up. It's just like any other insurance. It's Yeah, we've got wages are going up every single year for a start. On top of that, it depends what we're doing. So whether we're building infrastructure or major repairs on infrastructure, all of this is a huge balancing act. But why people expect that rates will go down, I've never understood it. There's just no way in the world rates can go down and we can deliver the same level of services. Or when I say we, that council can. I just think people should stop banging on that drum and just accept rates are going to go up. Start focus on how much they're going up by and why. Mm. It does make you wonder and begs the question, should council put a penalty on rates where ratepayers Airbnb their property? I do believe, if I read correctly, that there was a 50% increase in rates in Noosa Shire for Airbnbs. I think Brisbane put something up. Oh, it's Brisbane. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know whether they're doing it or whether they proposed it. I, I didn't really look at it, but I did nod when I saw it because I do think that puts you in a kind of a commercial area then. The big thing for me, I've got to say, the main reason is that while you do an Airbnb, you're not renting that place out to local mums and dads and families that need a home. And we've got a housing crisis. So, yeah, Airbnb is great for an income, but so is renting out to a family. But there's also the fact that the people are using our roads, our sewage system. Yeah, they are. Let's face it, in those situations, rates to a percentage if they live in the place or the whole thing, I guess if it's a rental with Airbnb, it's uh, tax deductible. Should people be allowed to open up their properties? Can they open them up for free? We've got something in there where we've raised it from four to eight people with properties, cut properties and, and all the rest of it farmers where they can do that sort of thing because one of the problems I, I guess when when you've got these properties and you never know what your income's going to be and you're trying to make the, your balance sheet work it just gives them another income source I think any property these days particularly the smaller smaller farmers they've really got to look at diversifying their incomes so they're more resilient to changes in the weather and economic forces which are out of their control the other thing to remember too is these are for RVs they aren't for campers. That's right. They're for self-contained. Self-contained. But if you want a slightly bigger park, you have to go through council and get approval. Oh, absolutely. Does the environmental impact of these come much into question, Bruce? I don't think so, because generally they're just parking near the house or in a paddock. No one's going to go park on a tree. Well, not all of them are small. There's a really big development out at uh, Traveston, which I believe is still in the planning department. I'm not 100% sure it's been approved yet. For 250 hours, RV and a hundred campsites. And I know you can't comment on that if it is in planning, but that will bring a lot more people into the area. I am really big on RVs. And I keep saying this, and I say it a lot in council, and I know I must sound like, oh, he's skiting about it. It's not a skite. When you go out and you travel and you go into these towns, 
you genuinely get a, a new appreciation for so many things. And one of the ones that I got was for what RVs bring to a town. Go and ask down at Kenilworth. Go and ask the street traders whether they think having RVs come to town is a good thing. Then go talk to parents about their kids getting jobs in that street so that they can stay at home and not have to either not get a job or leave. We want people to stay in Gympie, kids. At the moment, there's a huge drain on our youth, which is why we're so heavily older generation, if you look at the spread of ages within yeah. the Olympia area. And that's not something new. That is quite a historical trend. Absolutely. And it's not just Gympie, but it is something that Gympie wants to address. I would say. And I don't mean cancel, I mean all of us. Well, in line with all this development, whether it be rural or in different towns around the region, do we need to start protecting our historical views that people have? <laughs> uh, isn't that interesting? I, this came up recently when I was talking to people who know about all the historical stuff. And there are places where, yeah, historical views are protected. And there are places where they've tried to do it and they've just ended up in court a lot. So it's a real iffy one that you don't want to... If council, for example, decided that it was going to be a big thing and they were going to protect historical views... We will end up in court time and time again with developers who want to build something. We'll say, no, you can't because it's got a historical view. We don't want that. That'll just cost the rate payer money. Well, there is always one thing you can do is just buy the house in front of you to make sure that no one <laughs> they builds. They can't build up. <laughs> they can't build up. Yeah, and, and I understand it. I have a view, um, I had a view in my house on my balcony, which went all the way along Horseshoe Bend. I could see all the houses on this side and then the lady next door subdivided and they built a home and now the top of the roof cuts off about a third of my view. And yeah, it's disappointing, but by the same token, it's their block of land. I have no problem with them doing what they did. That's progress, and you can't expect things not to change because you don't want them to. Well, one thing I've read a lot about in very large cities, maybe Gympie Council may have to consider this in the future, will it ever get into selling airspace? And for those people that don't know what airspace is, that is literally the airspace above your building. This is an interesting one. I know that there's a really odd thing with council land underneath the IGA building. Really? I don't know exactly what it is, but when I brought it up in a meeting once, Councillor Bob Fredman just looked at me and said, yeah, that was that was really interesting, that one. And that's all I've heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I still don't know what it is. But I remember when it came to IGA selling that, so I say IGA, the building that it's in, there was something in the paper at the time. And that's why I thought about it. Oh, look, I just want to slip this one in here before we stop talking about rates and development. I read in the Courier-Mail today that the union wants a bigger pay rise for workers. Now, all is that means to me is how high do I want my rates to go? I know you can't comment <laughs> on how much the workers get paid at the Gympie Council. <laughs> we have to look at our topics. I just, want everyone, <laughs> I just want everyone to remember that the higher their wages go, and from what I have read, I believe their conditions are quite reasonable. A small pay increase, no one minds, but a larger one means larger rates for us. But let's talk about something. <laughs> let's talk about something that Bruce can talk about. I just want to say I'm not against staff getting a pay rise. I'm not. Okay, can I just say that? And I'm saying that as a ratepayer, not as a councillor. Bruce, have you had any more debrief about disaster payments, disaster management, or reports on? 
how well Gympie community dealt with the disaster and the floods? No, not yet. I think that's coming up at the end of this week. So we can probably talk about that next week yeah. if you like. There was a meeting with the recovery people or something. They did a public forum yes. where people could come along. I haven't really heard much back about well, that either. Well, I read that the conclusions that they came to were the same conclusions that the public basically knew after the flood. The first one was we weren't prepared enough. And I do understand that to a point, 10 years since the last flood, a lot of people that you know used to do all the flood stuff and knew all about it, it was just, you know, they've been here for 30 years, all these floods knew what to do, not working for us anymore. Well, <laughs> we've had so many new people move into the community and that's what happens with established communities where the long-time residents know what's happening, but new people in the area don't. And of course, all the Telstra Towers failing. The other thing they pointed out is there needs to be more communication for people travelling on the highway so they don't get as far as Gympie and get stuck here. They also identified that the council's communication probably with the community probably wasn't as good as it should have been. But these are all things that are easily fixed down the track. Well, I think they did a much better job in the May one. I, I mean, agree. I, I, I put agree. it up there on Facebook. I thought the communication was pretty damn good then. As long as we improve every time, I'm going to be happy. You know, yes. that we see that there was a problem and we improve it. And I, it looks to me like that's what's happening. And of course, we must mention that the government gave the Gympie Council a $1 million grant to assist with their flood recovery. And they did that for all the local councils that were declared a disaster. Now, potholes are still the biggest issue. You, along with rates, you did another poll, Bruce. I did, and I did it on the potholes because that was the number one issue people had in the first poll. Someone said in the first poll, oh, you know, you haven't got enough answers there for me to give what I really think. So I put other on all five questions, and that way people could put down what they're actually thinking. And it's made a lot more work for me. I haven't even read it all yet because there's so <laughs> many in the other column. But I'll have a look, and then I'll put it all up. I must admit there was one question there that I did have a little laugh at, which was, what was your timeline for getting your pothole fixed? A week, a month, or a year? And I thought, is this fantasy or reality? Which one <laughs> are we going to go for here? I did do that one on purpose because I think a lot of people have a unrealistic viewpoint on how long it takes council to get around to a pothole. And there's a couple of things at play here. I mean, this is operational, so I want to make that clear. This is operational. As a councillor, I have no say whatsoever in potholes. I can send in a what we call a council portal, which is like an email, but not quite. It's the same as when a resident goes onto the contact page and sends in something to council. But this is specifically from a councillor. So I can take a photo, I can point out where it is, and I can say there's a pothole, and I do that all the time. I've been going back through my portals that I've sent in this year, and I haven't got back to January yet, and I'm over 70. <laughs> Okay. Well done, Bruce. Good effort. So I'm just putting it up on an Excel, Excel spreadsheet so just so I can see what, what's, what I've been doing. Now, I think people get an unrealistic expectation. They think it's just going to get fixed. And especially around town, I think they think everyone's running over this council knows about it. Well, no, the teams that are fixing potholes are going where they're told. They're not allowed to stop and fix a pothole because they see it. And there's no one in council whose job it is to go out every day and see if there's a new pothole in a street in how many kilometres does the region have? Thousands. A thousand kilometres. <laughs> thousands, thousands. <laughs> no, it's just unrealistic. So... I got told twice about a pothole in Nash Street. So I drove along Nash Street and I couldn't see it. And I thought, that's odd. So I, I did a U-turn and I, I went back and I didn't see it. But I hit it. <laughs> I hit it all right. And I thought, aha, well, that's it. So then I went around again and I, I turned my camera on 
and you can see the car in front of me knew it was there because it went around it and then I announced I'm going to go straight through it and again bang bang you could go because I went through it <laughs> and I put that up and I've put up look I'm not putting it up to have a go at council. Absolutely not. The people who are working on these roads are doing a fantastic job. You know, they've got a lot to do. They've got limited resources and they're going hell for leather. So I just want to absolutely say to staff, thank you. You're doing well. And I know people whinge about it. It's their number one complaint. But you guys are doing well. So yeah, every time they hit a pothole, they think council's not doing their job. If they don't tell council the potholes are there, the next time they drive through, they'll hit the same potholes, council's not doing their job. I understand why it's front of mind for people, but also I just want people to know, help everyone out, help yourself out, report the potholes, take a photo, put it in, and then at least you know council knows. And then maybe in a month, if you're looking at it, you can go, bloody council's not fixing the potholes. Bruce, <laughs> tell me what this take a photo and put it in means. There's a couple of ways to do it. You just put in Gibby Regional Council Contact and Google, it'll come up with the link and you just press on it and you just go down there to where it says send an email, upload a photo of the pothole and where it is and just say, this pothole's here, so you know. And the more people do it, the more council will be aware of which potholes need fixing first. That's right, and then they can clump them together too so that they're fixing all the potholes in a certain area instead of one here and then they get a one... Well, we don't want one at Rainbow Beach in the morning and then one at Gamera in the afternoon. No, we definitely don't, we definitely don't. Another point I just want to make about potholes is people are saying, oh, they're not doing a very good job when they do fix them. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to repeat this because I think we said it last week, Annie. Yes, we did, and it's worth repeating. It is worth repeating. The first time they'll fix a pothole is probably just a temporary fix, okay? And they may have to do several temporary fixes until they can come back and do it properly. And there's a reason for that. They've got areas that they're doing proper fixes on somewhere else. They'll temporarily fix something so hopefully it doesn't get too much work, hopefully it doesn't wreck people's tires, and then they'll come back to it and they'll triage. It's like a hospital. When you go to a hospital, this is the way I like to think of it, you go to a hospital and the triage nurse talk to you and find out what the problem is. Now, she might give you a Panadol and say, take a seat. She hasn't fixed you, and you know that. You know that you're going to get seen soon. As soon as they can, you'll be taken through. If people look at that pothole having something thrown in it, that's not a, a fix. They're not saying it's fixed. It's like the Panadol that the nurse gave you. They're going to come back, and they're going to fix it properly. You'll get to see a doctor, or in this case, a proper road crew. Bruce, have you seen a new exhibition at the art gallery? That's the... Now, I'm going to try say this. Goo-gee-ga. I'm not even going to try no. and pronounce it. I don't know how you say D-J-E-E. That's the big problem here. But it's by uh, Cheryl Chambers-Williams. That's with a hyphen. She's a lovely lady. I've got to speak to her a couple of times. And I'm just so impressed with her artwork. It is beautiful pottery. But I'm also impressed because she did some workshops where people could come and make a cup or something like that. And I know that some of the uh, staff did at the gallery. And I know that because we bought one, which was done by <laughs> Tracy's friend, Julie. And what's happening is they're selling them for the $25 so people can buy their own bit of art. But $25 $5, that money doesn't go to Cheryl. That money goes to the Koala Action Group. That's just amazing. It is, it is. So that'll be more trees planted for koalas. And I think koalas at the moment really front of mind for a lot of people with what's happened recently with the temporary local planning instrument issue where we, we took it away, we put it back and we made it better. Anything we can do to help them out is great. And Cheryl, my, my, my deepest gratitude to you for doing this. I think it's wonderful. So last week we spoke about the denosis that is upstairs. This week it's all about Gujaga by Cheryl. Look, it's just another wonderful example of our community working together for the betterment of our community. Exactly right. And it's free. Always the best thing about galleries 
and libraries. I mean, I know we touched on libraries last week, but, you know, they are the best. And I hope everyone out there makes good use of our local libraries. I don't know if people know this. There's a couple of things at the library. We've got history, so there's local history, family history, all that stuff in there, and they can help you with finding information. We've also got the maker space, and it is... That's phenomenal. It is. is. It's got sewing machines. It's got studio like we're using here. A 3D printer. Three, not and one, three. Three. <laughs> and you can also go and attend sessions and learn how to use the 3D printer. And a cricket, which if people don't know is for stickers and stuff like that on cups and all that sort of thing. It's amazing what they've done in there. It really is. A question I'd like to ask Bruce is... Should Gympie Council be speaking out about our hospital crisis? And I ask this because this week the Ipswich Hospital has, uh, you know, been reported to have a real capacity crisis and three of the local mayors came together. They were calling for improvement in services that the community believe are well below standard. So should Gympie Council be doing this? We advocate for things, absolutely, and we should. And it's part of our corporate plan. There's that corporate plan again. We put in, I think it's in there a few times, maybe three or four. Council should be advocating to high levels of government for things that the locals need. And hospitals and health services are something we absolutely need in an area that's been singled out as being one of the big growth areas in Australia. So hopefully we'll hear Mayor Hartwick come out soon calling for the attention of the Queensland government the plight of our hospital. But it must be mentioned, the state budget was released this week and there were record levels of health funding but not a mention of the Gympie Hospital. No, and that is disappointing, especially when we've got that growing population, when we've got an older demographic and here they are taking away, you know, the bone fracture clinic. It's so disappointing. I just hope there's a long-term plan that we don't know about because that tends to be how these things work in governments is you don't know about it until they want you to know about it. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that there's something coming. Well, Tony Perrott came out and slammed the Queensland budget for its lack of help for the hospital. God bless you, Tony. He actually said that the government was lacking in vision and failing to meet the needs of our rapidly growing region. And I don't think there would be anyone in the region who would disagree with him. It certainly feels like we're being left behind. Well, what I thought was intriguing to see is Lou O'Brien, he's busy writing for support for an emergency hub located out of Glenwood. Not that I don't think that's good, but he has been very quiet on matters concerning the Gympie Hospital. On the state matter of the Gympie Hospital? You could be right there, Bruce. <laughs> I mean, he does... He has taught, spoken about the bypass and stuff, but that's stuff that the federal puts money into as well. There are so many issues, and Lou does have a, a very large area, and Ganalda is part of that area, and they need that. He thinks they need that, and he's pushing for it. And he's pushed for stuff here too. I just, I guess he can't push for everything at the same time. I just wish everyone would rally together for this massive noise to show the government that our Gympie Hospital is important. We should call it a freedom rally, and then everyone will show up. <laughs> However, there were a few projects in the uh, budget that got a nod, Bruce. There was 100000 pledged for our $6 million new fire station, which I believe has, is going to be quite a while in the making. That's been on the mark. It's on been the quite a while in the making while. already. <laughs> 
I want to know what they're going to do with the old building when they move it because that is magnificent. I'm going to buy it for my house. Oh, you are great <laughs> up in that top tower. Amazing views over Gimpy. We'll have a fondue. There was also funds for the continuation of the Gimpy bypass and the Kalula Coast Esplanade revitalisation project. God, that was a mouthful. Is there an acronym? What does it make? <laughs> I think it needs one. There's been another hundred thousand for the new Rainbow Beach Police Station and forty. Build much of a. <laughs> <laughs> and $48 million over a two-year period for the Barumba Hydro Dam project. Which is wonderful. Which I think is one of yeah. the most exciting projects here. Because what I hope people understand, we're building a battery. We're building a battery so that we can store power so that when we're at our peak usage, we can keep the price down. Although it's interesting, they're just about to hand the energy. They that basically No, that well, it was the Australian government. Because they were worried there was price gouging. No, they? basically what it was is they couldn't generate more electricity and make the same price. They were actually oh. going to lose money, so they just decided not to. Oh, that's very good of them. <laughs> I know. So does big business really run our country or the government? I want to know. The people in charge of that particular decision. Did their suburb get affected? <laughs> Did they lose the meat in their freezer? Now, I believe you have been breakfasting somewhere exciting this week, Bruce. I did. I went to a chamber breakfast. My first one in quite a oh, while, actually. What is a chamber breakfast? Okay, chamber breakfast is the Gimpy Chamber of Commerce. And they have a guest speaker in. They had three at this particular meeting. And you go along, it's at the RSL this time, and usually is. And you have breakfast, and you get the guest speakers... And I suppose it's networking as well. It's just a really good way to start your morning. I find it very positive on the times I go. I was really pleased to see I wasn't the only councillor there. There were actually four. There was Dan Stewart, there was Jess Milne, and there was Warren Polly. I think they probably go quite regularly. But this was, like I say, the first one I went to. But I think four councillors showing up for something like that, even three, is fantastic. Shows a great deal of support, Bruce. It shows they're getting out into the community and that's what we want from councillors, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, there was some fascinating information that came out of the one yesterday. Well, it was the number of businesses in our area, which was 4,564 total businesses. 98% of them are what they call micro or small business. So that's where you've got 20 or less staff. Huge number. It shows what the business structure here is. That's right. And 65% were sole traders. Oh, that's even smaller still. So we are really all about ma and pa businesses. We are, and, and that's why it's so important to get out there and support local business. One of the examples I use occasionally is our family loves board games, card games, dice games, tabletop games. They, they all come under. And we're not talking Monopoly here. <laughs> we are talking there's been a rejuvenation in board games. And for us, it started with Will Wheaton on his tabletop series where he'd play a game. Well, it, well oh, it started earlier than that, but that was when we really kicked off. <laughs> now, we buy our games from Playback in Gympie. I've gone in there sometimes and say, oh, what about this game? Don't have it. We'll order it in. And, of course, when I'm showing them the game on my phone, they'll say, oh, we'll try and match that price. And I say to them, no, I want you to be here in six months when I buy another game. It's important to me that you make money so that you stay open. And really, when you think about it, by the time you order the game and put in postage, it's probably the same price anyway. I think people have to look at the bigger picture we all like a bargain but i don't know if you want jobs for your kids how about invest in the town i know they were talking about it online this week saying that why should we buy local if local's slightly dearer well the reason to buy local even if it may be just a few cents or maybe a dollar dearer is you have that service in your town when you want it next time it's there
And it's easier to go two minutes down the road than an hour to the sunny coast. Or to wait a week for the postage. And then not have it turn up. (laughs) (laughs) Or have it turn up broken. Stolen off your doorstep. (laughs) Just one other thing about this report too. They showed us at the breakfast, the top three industries in our area, which is 52% of industries, are number one, agriculture, fishing and forestry, which is 26%. And then you've got construction, which is 16%. And the third one is rental hiring estate agencies, which is 10%. A quarter, just over a quarter of our businesses are in the agriculture, forestry, fishing. It just goes to show that we really are country area. Oh, we are. We're not coastal. Some people think, oh, you know, we're coastal. Yeah, we've got a coast. Okay, but there's more to us. We are much more diverse than just our coast. We're much more diverse than just our city area. We have a wide range of things, but agriculture... Fishing and forestry, 26%. The Noosa Council is reviewing the possibility of addressing the big shortage in housing by giving a builder six acres of land and he's going to build 32 tiny one and two bedroom homes on it. But what's even more fascinating is these are developed to be very eco-friendly. And eco-friendly? Eco-friendly. <laughs> eco-friendly? Eco, eco-friendly? Eco, eco, don't you love Spelltrek? <laughs> Very eco-friendly with their own solar power and rainwater tanks. But they're also working with social services to make sure the most needy get this accommodation. And isn't it sensible, one and two bedroom? How many people are out there living in a three bedroom home? They're by themselves. They don't need the other two bedrooms. Unless, of course, they're into Airbnb. <laughs> Very good. It did say in the article that they're going to use this as sort of a trial to see how it goes with that council. Yes, yes, and they then did. We can see if it can roll out further. So I'll be watching that. Well, hopefully, it'll be a great success. And these will pop up in quite a few of the regional areas around here where housing and accommodation is extremely scarce. Now, we haven't talked about it yet in one of our podcasts, Bruce, but we can't ignore it this week, and that is The Rattler. Choose your words carefully, Bruce. (laughs) Two news stories that didn't paint a very pretty picture of the internal culturing council. Not council. Oh, sorry, not council. I meant The Rattler. And they're working in the community. Yeah, I did read those. I'm not sure what I can comment on that. I didn't know about the problems they were having with the the staff issues, but that's not unusual. I mean, the person wasn't even allowed to talk about it with other staff. She couldn't. There's a new general manager up there now. So I believe. I haven't met her. I did see her. She was at the breakfast. I'll be interested to see what she makes of all this and how she goes forward. With the weather being those gorgeous, crisp, sunshiny mornings, I went off to the markets of the duck pond on the weekend, Bruce. I love the duck ponds. The duck ponds have been, for me, iconic since the day I arrived here with my kids. We would always go there. My father, he leant on the bridge and it broke. Big man. (laughs) (laughs) When it had to be repaired. The improvements that have been made over the the decades that since I've been here, it has just gotten better and better. That all abilities part. That's just an asset for any parents in the region. Oh, it's it is. I think the area there is amazing. And the oval is called Light Horse Oval, isn't That's it? That's right, yes. Uh, where the Duck Ponds is hosted. I was a bit disappointed this week, though, because the setup out there this week looks like a bit of a dog's breakfast. Or a duck's dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually spoke to a few of the stallholders, and they said that since the floods the organization has not been as probably good as it should be who actually runs those markets bruce charlie horn is the the gentleman that's running it he's got the the lease and the contract now the thing to oh hold on so they're not a community market 
No, I don't. Well, they're part of the museum, you see. I didn't realise that. The thing you've got to remember, uh, Char- poor Charlie, I mean, the place was inundated with the floods, so his whole cafe that he leases has to be repaired. I know that he's lost, like, five staff, because they, of course, can't hang around waiting for the cafe to be fixed, so he's going to have to look for new staff when they do reopen, and he's kind of running out of a food van out there at the moment. Where there were half a dozen people looking after all this... Now he's down to him and his partner, I think. So it's... maybe I'm just wondering, Bruce, is it time that a market... Because to me, the Duck Ponds market, like you said, is quite iconic. Mm. But the potential for improvement there is unbelievable. Now, I'm a little biased because I came from Darwin and some of the best markets in Australia are in Darwin. You are biased. And I was quite surprised when I came to Gympie and focus was not on food, relaxation and entertainment. One of the things I tried to get them to think about initially, and Charlie was on board with it, but the market holders were, oddly, was to have market stalls around the outside of the path so that people could walk around on the path. The water with the fountains was on the inside. I thought at night that would be just beautiful. No, Uh, Bruce, as someone that has been a stall holder, (laughs) I can tell you the best thing about markets in Gympie is you can actually park your vehicle, which carries all the crap you've got to set up, And you can park it right there. It's more the aesthetics of the place. It looked very hodgepodge. Yeah. And wouldn't it be lovely if there was a big thing of water in the middle? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I would... There was a lovely old local guy there busking, which was really nice. But I think there should be a few more of those, a few more food trucks. And if people come and patronise these businesses, they'll come back every week. Do you feel it would ever be feasible for the markets to be handed to a community group to run? Honestly, I don't know. I guess that's up to the museum. They lease that particular area off-state off or us or something. So, who, yeah. So, who, who I owns... I think we lease it off-state, they lease it off us. And then Charlie leases off the museum. I'm pretty sure that's the way it goes. Confusing now. Only if you think about it. I don't think about it. I just want it all to work and be good for the community. Oh, I love a good market. Love a good market. So, final thoughts for this week, Bruce. Well, I have a thing called a park crawl, Annie. I don't know if you've seen it yes, on I've Yes, I've seen your parks. I never realised Gimpy had so many. We do. This is my 19th that I've put up. If you look up hashtag Gimpy Park Crawl, or one word. Let's repeat that. Hashtag Gimpy Park Crawl. That's exactly right. And this is the 19th, Suggestion 19, and it's Narunda Park. So this is over on Silky Oak Drive over the south side. Now... This park, I don't even think people realise it's a park because it doesn't have a sign saying Narunda Park, (laughs) but I know it's councils because I saw it on a map when I first got here. It's got a tennis court. It's got a tennis court? A tennis court. It's that very rare surface. You rarely see this on telly. Let me guess. Asphalt. Damn straight. (laughs) (laughs) No clay, no grass court. It's bitumen. But it's beautifully maintained. So whoever's doing that, thank you. If it is council, you're doing a great job. So not only does it have a tennis court you can go play on, it's also got a wood fire barbecue. Oh, how cute. And a little covered area to sit at. I'm really sorry to all the people down that no-through road that think they've got this park that no one knows about. Oh, they know now, people. They know now. (laughs) Oh, Bruce, maybe the tennis court would be a good place to park RVs. I don't don't think I'll do that to them. (laughs) I tell you, there's another, just finally, another tennis court around that you can go play on, and that's at Waluga. We spoke about it last week. Long Yard. Long Yard. Yeah, quite a few of the country areas have tennis courts. So that's my final thought. Just go and have a look. Silky Oak Drive, find 
find this little place and see if you want to spend a little time there, have maybe a, a nice barbecue on a wood fire, sit down while the kids run around with a ball and a tennis racket. I think it'd be lovely. Well, remember everyone, all these issues we've talked about today that we believe Gimpy should take seriously. seriously.